Detroit is Different is where you get information, artistry, history, music, and even comedy. Detroit is Different, a home for the culture of Detroit. Visit online at DetroitIsDifferent.com today. All right, back in full effect in the Detroit is Different podcast studios. And I am here to uh, get to the end of August with somebody that is almost like a summertime person all the time. She's like full of zeal, full of life, uh, dancing, creative, artistic. You never know where you will see today. Today, yes. how you feeling today? Fabulous. Fabulous. We've yes. been meaning to do this for a while, bouncing around Long time. my schedule. But it's good to have you in effect in the Detroit is Different podcast studios. You, you like the feel. Yes. And, Thank you for uh, having me. Oh, oh, it's my pleasure. Mm-hmm. It's my pleasure. We're going to start this off how we generally start off these Detroit is Different podcast interviews. And we're starting with your family in Detroit. How did your family come about to Detroit? Are you a first, second, third generation Detroiter? Who was the first person to touch down in the 313? My mother and father, John Henry Dismook and Shirley Banks Dismook. They came here, I think, in 1970. 1970. So you a first generation Detroiter. Yes. Ain't that something. Okay, Mm -hmm. where did they come about from? Arkansas. Arkansas. We came from McNeil and Falcon. Okay, Arkansas. where where at in Arkansas? It's it's way down in Arkansas. Okay, okay, like like uh, so. Uh, hour hour and a half from Little Rock. If you know where Little Rock, Arkansas is, down up in there. So like basically right off like the bayou near. Yes, and they came from other places as well. So my mother is from Texas. Her hmm. mother is from Texas. Where about Texas? Mm, let me think. I don't know exactly where. She was Apache. So her Ooh. daddy was Apache. So they came from Texas. And then my father, they came from South America to Louisiana to Arkansas to now I'm in Detroit. South America mm-hmm. to Texas. Nope. That was my mother. Okay. So my South mother America. is from Texas. Okay. And then from Arkansas. Okay. Okay. And then we came to Detroit. Okay. But on my father's side, they came from South America mm. to Louisiana. Okay. To Arkansas to Detroit. You all are like nothing but like that hot <laughs> SEC. I'm talking about it's like hot. that's that that's that oof. Oof, Everything that's that is tough hot. South. Everything is hot. Yes. That's that tough South <laughs> where like where like high school football is High school football shuts down the city south. Yeah, that was a different different situation. Okay. Um, whereabouts in South America? That I'm still doing research because all of my ancestors on that side have made their transition. Mm. So mm. I'm still working on that. Okay. So in that in that journey, what led them to Detroit? What what stood out about Detroit in the seventies for them to say, you know what? I think, you know, this uh tropical weather all the time is something that we're gonna pack up our bags for and just embrace this winter my father was a provider and he came here to work Hmm. okay and he started at the um i believe with the government in warren Hmm. warren michigan with u.s u.s tank out of command Hmm. so he was an engineer he made tanks Ain't that something? Mm-hmm. So, like, making tanks, and that's the type of opportunities that are provided uh, 
for black folks in Detroit. Like that you can come. It was like recruiting that much talent in the 70s. Mm-hmm. And you could come here and be engineering and working on tanks. Mm-hmm. And, and they were recruiting did. talent. Like he was like, yeah, that's where I need to go. Yep. He was down south. They were in Pine Bluff, Arkansas at the time <clears throat> when they got married and they were living there. And he found a job up here, and he came up here. He moved his family, him and my mother. Okay. And I didn't come to later. What was your mom's response when he was like, we moving to Detroit? Hey, my mother was going where her husband was going. That's old school love. That's old school. And she was like, uh, we don't know nobody in Detroit. It don't matter. <laughs> he could have been like, I, I got go a job with, in Alaska. I go with you, baby. <laughs> mm-hmm. So what type of, uh, what was your mom uh that you know like her background up, what was she doing what what was the feel uh because that's a lot of trust in a man so your mm-hmm. dad must either had game or, or yeah he had a lot he had a lot of game <laughs> he had a lot of game but mommy basically is an educator and she basically came up here and she was a secretary mm-hmm. uh which we all know are the carrier of, of the secrets mm-hmm. and she worked for ford and then she went back and got her master's because she already had her um, bachelor's. Mm-hmm. She went and got her master's with uh, secondary education. She started teaching, but she didn't like it. And so she stopped and she didn't work for a while. And then my father, you know, was just taking care of everything. And then they found out that uh, she was pregnant. And so she went back to work. And I think she went to Dearborn with Ford still as a secretary. And basically she worked her way up through uh, management with the taking automotive command as well. Okay. And, and that transition, uh, being here in Detroit, seeing that, um, a, 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 a household of both people working, doing some things in cities, making moves, moving and shaking, uh, taking on middle-class America, as you say, what was that like for you growing up witnessing that, um, seeing mom and dad putting in the work, put grinding the axe? Well, we were latchkey kids. It was me and my brother, um, mm-hmm. Javon. We um, took care of each other. Mm-hmm. We had a lot of time alone. You know, we did a lot of different things. Like we made movies and commercials. They worked all the time. So school, we went to parochial school our mm-hmm. whole life up until eighth grade where I went to Cast Tech. That was my first Detroit public school system experience mm-hmm. um, but I mean it was easy it was safe you know we had a lot of fun we had a lot of uh, freedom um, because they worked a lot mm-hmm. and then outside of work my father was a creative so mm-hmm. he was an artist and he did a lot of things with um, he welded he was on the uh, police reserve he was in the Shriners he was with the uh, Freemason. He did a whole bunch of stuff. So we, our life was a very interesting, huh. if you say. Okay. All right. What neighborhood were you all in? Well, we were born on the east side on Conley and Seven Mile by where Persian is. Mm-hmm. Now, that's where I was born. Mm-hmm. At four years old, we moved to Eight Mile and Greenfield. Hmm. And we've been there ever since. We still have the house. So you guys moved from basically like... Sort of like deep eastish to, to deep, deep west. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Do you remember some of the differences between the uh, the cultures of the neighborhoods even then? No, we still we kept the house um, on the east side, so that was a tenant. We had tenants, 
Mm-hmm. Um, but I don't really remember the east side. Mm-hmm. Um, I only remember um, where we moved on the west side and being shipped out. So we went to schools in Berkeley. We went to schools way on the east side. So everywhere mm-hmm. was very far from our house. So all I remember is commuting, driving. Well, one of the people, and I interviewed the good Herman Davis in Northland Roller Rink, because when I think about eight... That's down the street. And that, yeah, I was going to say, that was down the street. So were you like a roller skating all the time? Yes, person? we went on Wednesday, but that was only when I got to high school. Okay, okay. Mm-hmm. When you got to high school, you got the green light to roller skate. So did you, because like proximity, did you become really good at it? Like, were you backwards? And yeah. Like, were you one of those people in the middle? Because, you know, it was like certain people were riding like the wheels. <laughs> But see, we had a basement that my father made sure that we learned all of the different type of arts. So roller skating, we used to roller skate. He bought us roller skates, and we used to roller skate downstairs. Oh, that's the that's what we call hood skating. Hood skating downstairs. That's that's what we call bust your knee skating. Yeah, that's where you got all your all your training. And so training. we could only go to Northland. You know, we went to Northland after we got good. So okay, so you was already in the center, and then that kind of goes right into where you at now. So your dad had a passion for artistry. Mm-hmm. Dance is how I know you best. Any yeah, form of dance, is. I think it's an A. Uh, Hip hop. Uh, modern uh african like dancing is your that's your thing so when did that become your thing um well normally um four years old is when i started dancing mm. um i went to tony school of dance okay it was like on Linwood or something okay and um i started ballet tap jazz mm-hmm. and then i kept on dancing and i went to berkeley after about seven, eight, they took me out of Tony's and I went out. And then I started, I stopped because I had a little form of like, I didn't like it anymore because it was like really racial. So I stopped dancing then. I was doing, I was studying Chiquetti Ballet. Hmm. So I stopped that and then I didn't want to dance anymore. And so it wasn't until I went to Cass that I started back dancing. Hmm. And then I joined the Pomerettes. I think that was like 10th grade. And then mm-hmm. dancing took off again for me. So it was a kind of, it was a couple of different things that happened to me in my dancing mm-hmm. journey. But I love dance. Okay. Mm-hmm. Now, as an expression, and I interviewed another dancer not too long ago, and, you know, my cousin Maiwa, and she was just talking about oh, what man. dancing meant to her. Mm-hmm. When you were younger and you stopped, mm-hmm. like, your introduction to it that tap ballet and we've seen it like the children's recitals Mm -hmm. um what was it for you then and i'm gonna ask this question kind of through the lens of how she looked at it and she said through dance it was a form of expression and what she learned most and what she was most passionate about and she felt she could say things through dance that she never could say in words Mm -hmm. i i agree it was really a escape i'll say it was like fun you know that was something you did on saturday the whole saturday you went to dance class um and it became part of my it became part of my story that's what i did i went to dance class you know you get up you get your stuff together you go to dance class um Mm -hmm. the reason i stopped is because i had a lot of um i mean now looking back i had a lot of energy that wanted to stop me from dancing um, but I, it wasn't comfortable. I didn't like it. So it was the enjoyable 
um, experience I was getting out of it, I didn't get it now because I was getting criticized all the time. You know, all you can do is kick and you you can't do this and you can't do this. And I was like, this, wait a minute. <laughs> what dance teacher tell you what you can't do? You're supposed to be making me the best. Mm-hmm. You know, so that was like, um, it was like a hiccup. And looking back on a dance, as a dancer, it was only preparing me for what I had to endure moving forward. Now, when you stopped dancing for that stint of time, and you put so much into it, was it one of those things where your mom and dad were like, okay, whatever you say, we with? Or was it one of those things that they were like, okay, we're going to still kind of try to encourage her to get back into it? Well, because I've always been, um, I guess I... I was able to talk my way out of it just because I told him that I did not like it. And mm-hmm. then once I talked to my father, my father was a very analytical and logical um, person that I have always been able to talk to. I really let him know um, how I felt and some of the things that were being said to me. And he understood because he was dealing with him with the same thing working out in Warren, Michigan. So yeah. he already knew <laughs> what I was going through. So it wasn't really a big debate. You know mm-hmm. what I'm saying? He was doing it because he felt he had to, to you know, provide uh, for his family. But he was understanding. When I told him I didn't want to do it because the lady was mean and she was saying all these mean things and I told him the things that was, she was saying, he was like, okay. And he said, I don't have to pay my money for you to endure that type of uh, punishment. And so I didn't I stopped. Mm-hmm. And I didn't um, take it back up until, like I said, I went back to cast. When I went to cast, then, you know, it was a re-renewal of such. Yeah. So he was very understanding. Okay. With that. Okay. Um, and in cast, starting mm-hmm. back. Mm-hmm. First, let's just get into the cast tech journey. Cast tech. What was that like? Uh, what was cast for you when you got there? How did you feel the culture? It was a whole new world. I uh, had never been. <laughs> explain. Okay, so um, from I'm gonna say kindergarten to what eighth grade, I had been in a parochial setting. So we had went to all Catholic and Lutheran schools. Mm-hmm. So Cass Technical High School was the first public school I had ever been to in my life and this was the first time that I had seen people that looked like me teaching administrating as my students so it was like it was a total culture shock um I we had always me and my brother been basically the only people only chocolate people um Mm -hmm. so we had a certain amount of um I don't know what you call it uh we had to you know protect each other so this was the first place that I felt like, oh, everybody's the same. It's like a homogeneous situation. So that was the first time I had ever seen that, and I was 14 years old. And mm. that also was the same year that my father passed. Mm. Mm. So impacts on studies, something impactful like that can impact studies. It can impact emotional studies. I don't even remember, I don't even remember my impact. whole ninth grade year. Wow. Wow. I remember nothing about, I remember starting. I remember him calling me one day on the phone saying, I'm, I'm proud of you. You know, keep up the good work. Remember everything I taught you. You know, then he passed. 
And I do not remember anything until like the middle of the 10th grade year. Mm. So just on you, um, I know even to this day, it has to be something that you carry. Mm-hmm. But your family and your mom and your brother, um, did how how did that change your role engaging with with the rest of your family losing your father at such a young age? Well, at first it was really it was like a fog, you know, you don't really remember anything until you obviously come out of it and wake up. You know, grief is is taken different by different people Mm -hmm. um but i i stood firm in making sure that my brother and i kept going you know i think my mother had a still and still does um have a certain amount of um grief Mm -hmm. from that situation um but we kept on you know i'm saying Mm -hmm. everything was paid for you know i never had any kind of nothing got shut off nothing stopped you know, the house, everything that we had, all of our mm-hmm. things that he had acquired, everything kind of like went as he deemed fit. You know what I'm saying? It still was like he had a hand uh, in the spirit world. So um, that is one thing that I can say that my father was a fabulous and excellent provider and protector because I'm still living off of my father to this day. I'm 44 years old and I'm the age that he passed hmm. today. And the things that he set up kind of propelled me into what it is that I'm doing today. I would not be able to be an entrepreneur and an artist and do what I like to do and what I feel is freedom if he didn't lay the foundation and the the groundwork like he did. And I think that he literally, he worked himself to death. Um, And I'm here today to continue, you know, make sure that uh, I uplift and keep his um, memory alive. So <clears throat> you talk about keeping the memory alive. Is uh, I'm asking these questions as my mom passed last year. And the dynamics, I think, of a person passing along with the grief is the role they play in the lives of so many other people becomes revealed. Mm-hmm. So uh, even the rest of his family, as I know you're like looking to, to piece together and then even possibly your family. Mm-hmm. That's why I ask those questions because I often I often think in living through in the legacies and, and that work. Sometimes it's not even just the the money or mm-hmm. property or something. It could just be the relationships. That yeah, and the has. energy and yeah. the things that were passed down. So you just I mean I remember all the talks we had. You know, I had I remember the little things he said to me, like some of the nuances, things that he said all the time. Um, that's really what got me through a lot of my um, young adulthood dealing mm. with males. Um, I never could date, and I I know why. Um, he taught me a lot about the male psyche, if mm. you will, and he would just talk to me. You know, he would tell me things, and I was like, why is he telling me this? This is crazy. But now, as Mm -hmm. an adult, I see why he told me those things. And I tell my daughter the same exact things Mm -hmm. that he told me. Mm -hmm. The same things. Like, they are not even, I don't even edit them. Like, what we were talking about earlier, (laughs) I tell them the exact same things. Yeah. Because it helped keep me on a path. And even though they were coming from his perspective, whatever he went through in his life Whatever he saw, whatever he, you know, 
grew through, I was his offspring, and he wanted the best for me. So the same things that he tell me, I tell my children. And hopefully that that will help propel them and keep them focused on who they are and their soul development. And I think that was a main um, thing. He did not want me to be uh, caught up in the, um, I guess, the worldly view of what a woman and a black woman can get caught up in. Okay, so past Cass. Past Cass. I went what to Michigan State University. State. So you stayed Party green and white. Party City. You yes. stayed green and green white. Green and white. Yep. Green. So, green is a good color. Okay. Green <laughs> is the color of uh, nature. And it's a heart Life. chakra. It's a heart chakra. You know, green is healing. Chakra. It's healing. And I am a healer. Okay. But no, I did. I did. Um, And that was by a fluke. You know, my one best friend, Courtney Jackson, we were we did a lot of skipping in cast and you know i'm not saying skipping is good young people but uh we did a lot of that and one day we were skipping and they had a um open what's that called an open house or you know the the recruiters were mm-hmm. there and we said oh let's go and see if we can get in michigan state uh-huh. and that's how i got in michigan state ain't that so ain't that so yep <laughs> east lansing and East, East Lansing. Lansing is a culture of its own too. And it went right back to my Berkeley and it went right back to where I was from. It mm. took me right back to my K through eight days. Me. So it, it it immediately took me reminded right back. you. What was that like in that campus? And then I mean it, it doesn't seem like that long ago. To me and you well, at all. 90s. No, it was the 90s. That was 90s. 90s yeah, was East Lansing, and that we're talking about like Bill Clinton era, early Bill Clinton 92. era. 92. I was there from 92 to 97. So that's a different. That was like a different. It was era. a lot of yeah, yeah. It was a little some, some different things happening. Mm-hmm. Uh, what did that feel like? Uh, how did you drink it in? Uh, what did you enjoy? What What was that? Well, I enjoy Michigan State. You know, Michigan State has its, like everything, has its pros and its cons. Um, but I was taken right back to that same situation <laughs> with the dance. When I stopped dancing at the age mm-hmm. of 12, I had the same almost exact experience at Michigan now, State. Now, being older now, mm-hmm. what was your approach dealing with that? Well, my approach was a little bit more academic. You mm-hmm. know, I've learned how to be, you know, a little political. I've learned mm-hmm. how to make office appointments and go in and talk to the professor and sit down with my notes. Mm-hmm. So uh, I have a similar situation. I had I attempted to try out for the Michigan State Repertory Dance Theater. Mm. And so I had been dancing the whole time. So this was maybe my third or fourth year at Michigan State. Mm-hmm. So I had been dancing the whole time. Mm-hmm. And so I, this one time I said, and I was getting my dance minor. So I was already in class with all of these people that I'm going to be supposedly dancing with in the theater. Mm-hmm. So I go and I audition and I don't make it. And so that didn't sit well with me. I said, hmm, let me go and make a office appointment to see why I didn't make it. So I uh, contacted the director. I had made an appointment. I went in there and I said, you know, I'm not understanding why I didn't make the Michigan Dance Repertory Theater, you know. 
And she was like, oh, well, I think you need to work on your technique. And I said, okay. I thought that's what I was working on. I've been here three years under your tutelage. So <laughs> what's going on with the technique? I think you need to study this summer. So I said, where, where do you suggest I go study? She was like, I think you should go to Alvin Ailey. And I was like, and I thought in my mind, how would I get in Alvin Ailey if I can't get into your Michigan Dance Theater repertoire? But I went and I did the research. I found out Alvin Ailey was coming in March. I went to the audition. I got into the uh, school and I went to study. So I guess at you could Alvin get in Alvin Ailey. But I can't get into get in your Michigan State, State repertoire, dance repertoire. <laughs> so Who it was the same know? thing. Who the new? So then I went to um, Alvin Ailey. I studied at Alvin Ailey American Dance Center in 1996. Okay. And did you even go back to Michigan State and like. Yeah, I went to back, back to Michigan State and I went back and made another appointment and, mm -hmm. and talked to her. Like, mm -hmm. I am not understanding. Mm. And she still was like, oh, well, Tanae, you're a very good dad. But, you know, all that at that time was just like this. Now, now this whole, as we definitely know, like, it's layers of of race. Uh, culture, status, culture, class. Class. Understanding, definitely class, misunderstandings. But really, it all is under prejudice. In prejudging and just having misunderstandings of of what this interpretation could be. Um, now, now, going through this at such a young age, and and having seen this already, like from like middle school era, and seeing this again, um, but this time maneuvering it differently. That's a power move. Like you were still so young to even deal with that. I was twenty. I think I was about to turn twenty one. That's like a power That's a strong power play And what I did is when I went back I started my own dance company <laughs> And I started my own We I took over my friend's theater company She was graduating I took over her, her theater company And I had my own television show um, Basically And I just empowered myself um, To create my own situation Like So from there you. A lot of those steps encourage of Let's do it empowerment where I, if it we're gonna learn as we go yeah i don't need to ask you to be in your stuff i'll just make my own that's definitely been one of the attitudes i've had now with that attitude especially being so young and so determined with something like that um what if what impact did that have on your friends and, and how are they looking at you making these moves well, a lot of my friends had were already around, and they were, you know, we were, my friends, at, even to this day, help my business. Mm. So even everybody that basically I roll with today are in, in my business capacity some way. Okay. Um, so even in college, not knowing it, um, my roommates were my dancers. <laughs> my roommates were my co-hosts. They were help. They helped me produce the show. They helped me do all the interviews. Like mm -hmm. we had so many interviews. We went to the Source Awards. We went to the All Star Games. We went. To, I mean, Freaknik. We went everywhere. And it was my friends. We did all these interviews with mm -hmm. Wu Tang and Gerald Levert. Like literally. So it was my friends that you know helped me with my business. And, and it wasn't a business at at that time. It was just a hobby. And but you were still doing, you were conducting business. 
Yes, but, but in a hobby capacity. In a hobby capacity. Because I was not getting paid. Now, <laughs> now in the world of uh, of doing this and that commitment and that time and scheduling and working with your friends uh, and that leadership. And, th- and then us, that's different dynamics, too, when you work with your friends. Because mm-hmm. some friends, it's like, you know, they're your friends. And they, they can't, their productivity and their commitment, it may not be of the ilk of you. Mm-hmm. So... Doing that and then transitioning over to business, you learn some valuable skills. Yes. I didn't learn the business aspect of it until I moved to New York. So mm-hmm. literally in at Michigan State, it was all fun. Mm-hmm. It was all just a hobby. Mm-hmm. You know, we had business connections, but it wasn't operated like a business. Like we didn't get paid to go and um, film the Source Awards. We didn't get paid when we went to see Wu-Tang and they were filming that ice cream video. We didn't get paid. We were uh-huh. just having fun. You, you were know? just out there. Out there. Howard Homecoming. Out there. Okay. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Like, you know, we saw Biggie. Exactly. You know, like, and trying to get interviews. You know, we was just like renegade. You know, guerrilla marketing. Like, oh, can we get an interview? Mm-hmm. You know, I have things like we we saw Tupac. Tupac came to Michigan State. Mm-hmm. You know, none of this was for pay. It was just all fun. Now. When did it get real? When you moved to New York? Yeah, it had to get real because now I have to pay rent. Over here. Mm-hmm. Okay. <laughs> yeah, that'll make it get real. I had, to, I had to pay rent and I had to buy food and I had to take care of myself. So. And it, wait, wait. What? When did you move to New York as, like, man, this 97. is, I guess. I know you know that time is changing like i say 92 doesn't seem that long ago like somebody put a post up on uh my friend put a post up on facebook like in two years 1990 will be 30 years ago even Ah. though when i think of 30 years ago i think of 1970 that's not even that's kind of what i think but in reality 97 new york was a different like it was a different it was a whole i don't know what happened it was like and i had a good time like 97 New York, like downtown New York, Times Square I had a was good. a whole different, like. I had a good time. I Brooklyn, am so thankful. Harlem. I'm thankful and grateful that I had a chance to experience it. Yeah, that New York was a different <laughs> New York. It was. And I am, um, I'm grateful. So you got there in 97. I got there in 97. I think it was about maybe May. I graduated mm-hmm. May 2nd. I moved there like about May 20th. Wow. That was fast. It was. It was what like was your mom? Was your mom like? Mommy didn't want me to go. Doing? Yeah, I was gonna say. But she didn't want me to go to Alvin Ailey. She wanted me to go to Alvin Ailey, but she did not want me to go to New York. Okay. But I did it. Okay. And uh, we, I have not gone into like backstories. You know, we uh, have B roll. Uh, you know, I worked at Chrysler. You know, on the line, I had to make that money because I paid for Alvin Ailey. I didn't get okay. a scholarship, so okay. I had to pay tuition. I had to pay for somewhere to live. That was Man. in '96. Mm. So I worked at Chrysler for three years mm. in the summer during Michigan State. Break, during the break. Yes. I got you. And um, I worked, I made money. I always had to quit because I am not a Chrysler situation. Like, we mm. always had some issues, but it did work. Mm. You know, I made money, I stacked it, I saved it, and I was able to do something with that money. Okay. Um, and all those times it took me to New York. Okay. So, 97, I moved. You know, I had a couple friends that I had, I, I had met there. Um, I got a temporary job. At that time, it was $15 an hour. Mm-hmm. Worked 40 hours a week. I was able to pay for 
apartment, which was in Jamaica, Queens, in the basement of a lady's house, a little mm. nice renovated house. Okay. Um, I stayed there for about a year, and I basically wow, just... Wow, you, you, you did a move to New York and didn't even have to have roommates. No, I didn't have a roommate, and wow. I got my own, and, and I got all of this on the day I moved there. I moved there like with, divine a, intervention. with a garment bag, and I went to stay with one of my friend's fathers. He mm. lived in Queens. Mm-hmm. I went to an interview. I got the job, which was at the temporary agency, and I had a friend. It's, it is divine intervention. Oh, it's apartment, such and such an opening, $750. Can you afford that? I was like, yep. They, she gave me the, um, I got the apartment. I got the job all in the same day that I went mm. to New York. Now, the 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 temp agencies. Mm-hmm. I've had some temp jobs. Like you know how some people have side. Like some people be like, "Yo, this is my side hustle." Mm-hmm. I always looked at work as like this is like my side job. Like I never. I've, I've been such an entrepreneur mm-hmm. most of my life. I never like carry the employee is. Ugh. Mm-hmm. But I've had some temp jobs in it. Boy, boy, temp work is. Well, that temp like, was job it, was it like a consistent temp? That work? temp job was only supposed to be two weeks, mm-hmm. and and they kept me on for two months. Ain't that something? Okay. They like me. Okay. Oh, today you want to come back? I was like, sure, do. Mm-hmm. And what I kept you, on. What were you doing? Because I've had I've had some bad temp tip experiences. It like, was data entry for okay. an insurance company, okay. medical okay. insurance. Mm-hmm. So all I did was input all the all the information in the computer mm-hmm. for that, two months. Okay. Okay. That was supposed to be two weeks. So data entry, mm-hmm. that's what you were rocking with. Yep. And but, then after that, you, did you just keep rolling with the temp world? Like, hey, what else you got for me? No. I, I knew that was temporary because it was only supposed to be two weeks. So I had already ran into, like, my one good friend that we were already at Michigan State. We did a, we had a collective when we were doing our video shows. Okay. I ran into him literally walking down the street to my apartment he was walking to his house like this mm-hmm. divine intervention um we started hanging out again because that was already my home mm-hmm. home skillet from michigan state um he pulled me into video uh visual marketing mm-hmm. which i got my major from at michigan state which mm-hmm. is telecommunications so he pulled me into his world i met all his friends and then i started doing um Tele, uh, not telemarketing, but video marketing. Basically, where I would get your video played on all of the stations all over. Hmm. And I did that for three years. Okay. So, video, like music video? Music videos. Oh. So, we did Ja Rule, we did um, Gerald Levert, we did DMX, like this literally is at least like another list, era uh, of time. This is pre YouTube, most definitely. Yes. Okay. This is one where you needed. Um, all of the you needed a public, rep to get all of to, the public yeah. access channels to play your videos. Yeah, along yep. with MTV, BET, VH1. Mm-hmm. So you did you build your own database of contacts, or you just kind of exercise what they had? Well, I started working for this one lady, um, Jody Riddick. She was a phenomenal uh, lady that showed me how to be my own entrepreneur. Like literally, I was in training, not knowing. Mm-hmm. Um, how to take your passion and turn it into a lucrative business. Mm-hmm. So Jody Riddick, she took me under her wing. I met her at a party, like some little party. Mm-hmm. Um, she needed help. 
and I was I had lost the you know the two month job had ended the temporary job had ended. Mm-hmm. She said, "You want to work for me?" I was like, "Cool." I started working for her, and that lasted three years. Wow! So like simultaneously, and this is the feel. It, it's like a different culture there in New York of even making the it opportunities. Happen. Yeah, making it happen. Make it happen. You know, like the feel and in the way. You know, hanging out even in New York, it's one of those things where a person will be like, "Hey, you want to go to the coffee shop with me?" And that'll be ten in the morning, and you may not get back till one in exactly the whole day. You've been hanging out the whole day. You may not get back till one in the morning. But that's how I met all these people. Exactly, and and those people you may run into could be like, it could be any spectrum. It could be you could run into, you know, like uh, the publicist for Barack Obama. Or you could run into a person that got an idea where next year they will be the publicist for Barack Obama. Correct. <laughs> so it was really fabulous in that account that it was like I was making moves. I was free. You know, uh-huh. I was taking care of myself. Um, and it was good people. You know, it was people that were put on my path to help advance. I didn't even have a plan, you know, mm-hmm. and that's one thing that I would say to young people today. Please have a plan. Like I was just there. I didn't know what I wanted to do. I had still been struggling with what my purpose was, what I was here to do, what my sole mission was. So all of these things were just lining me up. You know, they were just putting me in my path. It was like pebbles for me to step on. Mm-hmm. And I'm grateful and thankful that it wasn't down the you know the dark road. It was now, down. It was full of light. Now let's talk a little bit about that, as I think it's so many not just young people, but especially young people, but even older people that are either two things, not not in spirit with whatever they feel their purpose is, or afraid to speak into existence what their purpose is so share a little bit about that because there's so many people i think in that zone so what i have come to realize is that everything in the visible comes from the invisible so the spirit is first everything that you can't see is what comes into matter so we can't put so much on what things look like and what you're experiencing on what things that you can imagine so our ideas and our thoughts and our inspirations, things that you get and you wake up like, oh, my God, that's a good idea. You know, we shouldn't discredit them just because when we look out into the world, we don't see anybody doing them. Um, they're not they don't look cool or they don't look like other people are gravitating to them. So I think we have to really connect ourselves more so with our spiritual um, origins and not look so much to the material and, and the external. So that was one of my main things that, I mean, when I was young, I made my prayers, was taught to make our prayers. Um, However, that was one of my daily prayers. Help me find my purpose. What am I supposed to be doing? How am I supposed to be serving the good of all? And even though I didn't know it intellectually, it was always lining up for me. And it just kept on. Like, literally, it just kept on lining up. Now, this is another just Kari question I have. Mm Mm-hmm. And people always wonder, like, when I meet kids, I'm always buying them toys. Because when I was a kid, me and my sister used to, like, make elaborate toy scapes and stuff mm-hmm. like that. We played Especially with G.I. Joes and Tonka. And that's exactly <laughs> what I was going to say. Because I think, like, the imagination of a kid playing with a toy is just so, like, because, like, you're creating worlds. Your imagination so I- is your muscle, is a muscle. And if you don't use it, you lose it. And that's what, what that's what the powers want, to be want you to lose is your imagination. 
Because when you can't connect to your imagination, you cannot connect to the God. That's just the bottom line. Because you can't come up with an idea. You can't even receive the idea to do what it is that you know you're supposed to do. Mm. You're, you're a zombie. So a zombie apocalypse is what we're dealing with right now. You deal with what's in front of you. You react to your environment. Somebody comes and says something to you, you react. You, somebody, it looks like this, you react. Instead of taking something that's inside of you, that's invisible, but you can see, and respond to it and make it happen. So I think that's the, I mean, if we want to talk about propaganda, that's really what is happening. You know what I'm saying? They want to dull that down. They want that to die. And I was just, That's man, your superpower. You got so deep with it. I was just going to say, when you were a kid, I'm guessing you probably... G.I. Joe, baby. G.I. Joe, we was... Everything. And and they all have names and and stuff like that. My daddy used to buy us all of those Hot Wheels where you make the track. (laughs) You know what I'm saying? We had everything. Because it was just me and him. We couldn't go nowhere. My daddy didn't let us spend a night over nobody's house. Mm -hmm. We couldn't have friends over. We couldn't go over nobody's house. Like, literally. He was like, nope. Mm. I don't know him. I don't know them. Mm. I don't trust them. Yeah. So it was a imaginative, because yeah, my sister. I don't know them. Because my sister definitely would like the cabbage patches and stuff. Yeah, and he he did. He didn't. He was really questioning the whole cabbage patch thing, but he bought it because I wanted one. But he really did not mm-hmm. want to. So, but the world of like that imagination and creativity it's like you create and a world for that said GI Joe. Period. You know, you make up the character, you make up the influences that they're in, you make up the environment. What's the problem? There's always a problem. And if there's always a problem, there's always a solution. And that's mm-hmm. one thing I've always taught my children is to solve your problem. Because if there is a problem, the solution lies within the problem. Mm-hmm. And that's how I've been able to do anything that I've been able to do is it's the solution to it. Now, in that journey, another thing about New York like it's a couple places that are like this. I think New York is like that. Some of the people I know that moved to Hawaii is like this. Meaning, like New York's one of those cities where you you can look up and ten years will snap past you. It was you'd five be like, years. Damn, I didn't even go back to Detroit. How often were you coming back to Detroit while you were in New York? Well, at first I did not come back at all, and mm-hmm. then I had uh, Maya, my firstborn. She's nineteen now. Um, And so when she was born, I came back a little bit more often just because she was a baby. And Mm -hmm. then everything was changing. So I was not able to be in that, um, the music industry with a baby. You know Mm -hmm. what I'm saying? Now I'm a mother, the nighttime, you know, it was just the whole lifestyle was just not working out. Mm -hmm. So I started coming back and forth more once I had a child. Okay. And then even before we get into that transition... It's some Detroiters there in New York. Yep. Did you connect with them well? Uh, What was that feel? Um, Well, like I said, well, Adele is the friend that I ran into. He's not from New York. I mean, Detroit. He's from Flint. No, Mm -hmm. Muskegon. Excuse me. He's from Muskegon. So, but we had went to Michigan State together. Mm -hmm. Um, I did run into some people from um, Detroit, but mostly they came in to visit. They came in and out. And that's what I was going to say. Most people that that I met were from trinidad you know from china from they were from all these other places and they were living in new york you know what i'm saying they were like 
people outside of New York, but they were there as well. Mm -hmm. I still have friends now that are, um, you know, they were in ports in New York. And mm -hmm. some people lived there. A lot of people were from Jersey. Mm -hmm. Some people were from, you know, the um, different bureaus. But mm -hmm. it was a really sweet experience. Now, coming back, what, what year did you uh, get back to the D? Okay, so Detroit brought me back to Detroit. I had my yacht in 1999, so I think I came back in 2000. Okay. And uh, and that I, was a different D. Yeah, but I didn't go. I didn't come back to Detroit. I went to Lansing. Okay. Um, I got offered a job at Sankofa Shule. It was an yeah. African-centered school, mm -hmm. and I went to teach uh, language arts. Hmm. And I uh, went there as a full-time teacher, and I moved to Lansing, and I stayed there for a year. And then I came back to Detroit after that. So you basically came back to Detroit the year Mayor Kilpatrick was elected, which mm -hmm. shifted everything. But it was a, a good, it was a new, good year for me. Huh? A whole <laughs> new thing, a Detroit in the mix. Like that was a different. It was feel a different too. Detroit. Yeah. Like, so when I came back, you know, I had now I had I didn't go over this because this is a B B side too. So now I have two children. Mm -hmm. Maya and Tiamat. Tiamat was born in 2001. And mm -hmm. um, so now I'm a mother. I have two young girls. And now my modeling career takes off. <laughs> okay. <laughs> it takes off. And and then in the Mayor Kirkpatrick realm, I had a lot of jobs that opened up. Because, you know, he was doing it. You know, he opened um, the Julian Scott that opened up downtown. You know, we had a lot of artistic energy you know the mm -hmm. art was flourishing um and so that took me into a whole nother situation okay for those couple years okay now this is around the time like soon after we meet mm -hmm. and i've like always known you as a dancer like even in this discussion i'm finding out so much more about you and it keep going too because we ain't went into <laughs> all the other stuff i did <laughs> and when did you get back into dance itself so dancing, I never left. Uh, even in New York, while I was working for the visual, doing uh, visual marketing, mm -hmm. I still taught dance. Mm -hmm. I was teaching at all the, basically the public schools there. We were doing a literacy through dance program. Mm -hmm. I also taught out in Queens. I taught these uh, young little people ballet, tap, and jazz. Um, mm -hmm. So I was teaching the whole time, still performing. Mm -hmm. I was modeling uh, Gerard DeRay. I had um, different shows I did with him. He was a hair designer. Um, and so that was still going on simultaneously. A lot of things that I did in New York was like I, I split myself off as like I had three different phases. So basically you could be on the train in New York and one person knows you as this and another person knows you as that. Yep, so I do visual like, marketing. I was working at Corbis Bettman. I, I did photography where you develop all the pictures. Uh-huh. <laughs> and I had I had three jobs at one time in mm -hmm. New York City. Mm. Yep, and then you were out. training these kids so like a mom could walk up to you. And say, hey, it's an and she and not then, even know that Ja Rule was over here. Yeah, a rapper walk up to right. you like, hey, is my, is my, when yeah. is my video going to get on MTV? Just like that. It was just really crazy. But it was fun, though. Mm -hmm. It was fun, and it worked. Um, I saved. I did save a lot of money. Um, the thing I have figured out is, like, if you come up with a plan and you work your plan, you could you could work it out. You know, I was unemployed after a while, for the whole first year 
of having uh, my yacht. And I lived in New York City in Harlem without any type of uh, governmental assistance. Wow. I loved, uh, I used to call, it's different now, but mm-hmm. I used to call High, Harlem the Big Highland Park. Because yeah. that's what it always reminded me of. I'm like, wow, this is like a big Highland Park. I love Harlem, then. too. Harlem was a fabulous It's a like, I'd be place. walking down Harlem, you would hear, like, some of the strangest things. Mm-hmm. People come up to you offering you, like, like, you don't know if this is a booster or if this guy got it from mm-hmm. uh, Chinatown. You don't know nothing. <laughs> you don't know nothing. It's the, it's the African women braiding hair, like. <laughs> yeah, that was, a, I, that was, those are good times. Um, and they laid the foundation for even me coming back to Detroit. Because, like I said, when I came back to Detroit, I had a whole nother uh, outlook on how to make things happen. Mm. Now, with that transition, as my, my sister moved to New York and came back, and also uh, my cousin. And now they're both in L.A. Mm-hmm. And, like, what I told both of them is, like, the pace is so much slower here that you almost have to, like, adjust Cause it's almost like in New York, everything feels like it's like moving you a got million, million miles an hour. Because it's ten million Whereas in people. Detroit, it's like it's not even a million now. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So it's did it take a while to adjust to the pace of how people, you know, kind of launch things? I mean, really, seriously, in New York, I've seen people sit, have dinner on Tuesday, and then Wednesday they're like, "Yeah, come on, let's work, let's do this." Well, I think that the. Um the introduction to it, meeting the people that I met and being in that energy for the five years that I was there. Five is mm-hmm. the representation of change. So I think that those five years changed me to a certain mm-hmm. extent. And so when I came back, like I said, I was I was in a reproduction mode. So the Mayat was one and Tiamat came, you know, she was coming. So I had two children and then I had to reinvent myself. So I was, uh, you know, at home at that time, I still had creative energy. So I started, I was sewing all the time. I was vending, you know, I was doing this, I was making this, I was on the phone, making connections and the things that I saw from New York and the people that I met and the ideas and the possibilities that I had learned about basically helped mold me into coming up with Okay, this is what I want to do. I do this, this, and this. How can I turn my hobbies into a business? How can I make my love work for me? Mm. And that's basically what it was. So me at home, taking care of children, teaching, ABCs, one, two, threes, what's our name, walking, potty training. It was basically, um, I was also training myself. Now, in that training, uh, in like, growing in all of this what did you come to i came to the house of bastet i mean literally i thought about the house of bastet all the time it wasn't the house of bastet at that time but it was just like okay how can i make a place where women can come to girls can come to and feel fabulous feel free um let go of some of the things that they've learned that's not the truth um heal um grow empower themselves and it didn't come right away. It came in waves. You know what I'm saying? I would just write stuff down. And I just started writing stuff down. I had um, got a job at the Detroit Recreation Department where um, I started working for, I started planning the field trips for all hmm. the young people. Hmm. And so after that, you know, I get in, I can, you know, I can talk. And so I got a dance class. 
started doing dance classes at the uh, Butzel Family Center. Talking a little bit more a year later. You mean over here on Linden? No, no, the one over there on Kercheville. The one, oh, on the east side. Mm -hmm. okay. I moved on okay. the east side, so I lived in uh, okay. East Village. Right now, yeah, I was going to say. Yeah, yeah, I, yeah. I, so when I moved back from Detroit, I moved east. Okay. And so I started uh, teaching dance over at Butzel Family Center. And then I got a job to be the site administrator at Butzel, the elementary school. Hmm. And so, you know, I'm talking red, black, and green. We bringing people in, talking about Kwanzaa, mm -hmm. you know, educating people on, you know, food without pork, you know, how we can eat. We need to exercise. We need to breathe and, you know, meditate. And we mm -hmm. need to do all this natural hair. You know, we had all that going on for the young people. And it's a lot of... As you're talking about just that neighborhood, just because of the inner city sub center, uh, Timbuktu, um, Alkiba line, mm -hmm. it is it's a storied history of mo a, a lot of the African centered on the east side, and as they would say, <laughs> the, the pan African belief system is right there. Um, is right there on the east side, like. In that neighborhood, like I would say, like that Kettering. Mm-hmm. Uh, that was Van Dyke. Yeah, I was on Van yeah, Dyke so and like I, I, Definitely that Kettering Finney, uh, kind of oozing a a little bit to that Osborne community mm -hmm. is like the heart of a lot of the, you know, like when people say, "Hey, have you met this one brother?" Chances are, you gonna be in that neighborhood mm -hmm. when they say that. So I did that, um, and then. I did the summer camp, got laid off, mm -hmm. and then we I went to Charles H. Wright, and then I got uh, hired as a museum educator, mm -hmm. and I went there, and I um, that was a fabulous job, you know, I um, took a pay cut, but I thought it was fabulous because it was something that promoted everything that I had been learning, everything that I had been living, and um, I was in the education department, so... I did all of the workshops. We came up with the workshop offerings. I did the tours. Mm -hmm. And with that, within that year, because I only stayed there a year as well, within that year, I developed uh, the mission and the vision for House of Best That. Hmm. Now, after that year is up, and I remember a lot of this, and then I even remember like the original like logo, mm -hmm. uh, the feel, getting the flyers in my hand, and, and what it was for. Um, taking that into action, did was it just that leap where it was immediate? This is what I'm gonna do. It, it's coming to life, and this is all I'm gonna do. Well, yeah, I have, um, I have been, I, I get counseled, so I have a um, spiritual counselor. And I have, um, I was told even before I was going to leave that I need to start preparing for my own thing because I was not made to work for anybody. Mm -hmm. So that was told to me. I was like, Whatever. and so then I had to start, you know, getting it together. So um, getting the House of Bastet together was more of a in-depth um, research and development as to who I am and what it is that I said I wanted to do. Mm. And so I just had to bring uh, the things that I felt were important as well as the things that I love to do, like my, you know, talents and my gifts. And I just brought them out. I wrote them down and I uh, made them plain upon tablets. Mm -hmm. And then I was able to move forward. 
So the logo was the first thing I got done. After the logo, I got the mission done. After the mission, I came up with my programs, and I came up with what it is that I wanted to see happen with the House of Best. What what problem was it going to solve? And that's basically where I am now. To this day, I'm still solving (laughs) the problems that I think that I I witness. So today, Mm -hmm. and I know we're going to have to get you back for a part two, but this Mm -hmm. is a good discussion. But today, what's the work? What's what's where is the House of Bassett work now? What has how have, have things come to fruition? Are you uh, do you find yourself walking down the street running into uh, women now that were young girls then and, yeah, and moms like, hey, you you help me? You know? I see, I see students that were yes were little babies, not they grow up big. Uh, it's been a long time. So House of Bassett was started in two thousand and five. Mm-hmm. So it's 2018, so that's 13 years ago. Mm-hmm. So I see um, young girls that have made their transitions to mothers. Uh, mm-hmm. I see mothers that have made their transitions to grandmother. I mean, like, I've seen a lot. Um, I've seen people that do come up to me and say, oh, I remember you. My daughter came to your class. And even outside of that, since I've been teaching for a long time, I see people that I've seen when they were three, two you know, five, they're now grown mm-hmm. with children. So it mm-hmm. is interesting to see the um, the progression. And you know but, what's so unique about what you said in solving the problem? Mm-hmm. In creating House of Bassett, you solved the problem that was first presented to you that made you lose some of your passion for dance. I surely did. And being not being nurtured. I mean, you can have, I understand, you have to have constructive criticism. I understand that. But it does, at a time, have to come in a place that wants to build you up and not tear you down. It's being constructive. Constructive. So that was one of the things that I wanted to instill in uh, young ladies. And even if they're not dancers, because a lot of times I had young people that came to me that will never dance professionally. Because that's just not what they do. However, I feel as a woman... And you have, like we talked about earlier, assets. You need to learn how to control your assets. And you need to be in control of them and not have them control you. So it's a lot of things that go on with dance and movement that I think all young girls need to do. Every young girl, if you're a girl, you need to go to dance class. And it's not about you being a prima ballerina and going to the med and dancing for a top ballerina company it's about you learning how to control your environment and your environment is your body you know what i'm saying and a young man i would say go to martial arts because it's still a certain amount of control that you have to learn with this physical vehicle it's a vehicle so if you don't go to driver's training you don't know how to get out your lane. Get out of somebody else's lane. You in you all in think, my lane. Why are you over here? I think I think you gonna day, get you gonna crash. Any any day or ninety four <laughs> east can prove that. Uh, Sometimes driver's me. training. It's all over. It's all over the place. You all over the place. Your fender over here and your bumper over here. Any, any ride on the lodge certain Saturday nights. Yeah, so, you know, it's just about learning how to control your vehicle. And yeah. then we don't go into the science of movement, but movement is needed. Your body mm. needs to move. So yeah. I feel like I am a movement specialist. I am learning and growing every day, um, mm. figuring out ways to help people uh, enjoy movement, get mm. up. One thing that I saw the other day driving down the street is that people are so lazy. And if you're lazy in your body, you're lazy in your mind. 
That means you can be controlled. You are now my pawn. I can tell you what to do, tell you where to go, and you will do it without any resistance. Because you're lazy. Now, briefly, and I know it's not like a tell them why you mad type thing, and you probably enjoy it, but <laughs> it's so what you presented in 05, because this is like such a different era, because soon after what you did, and I don't even know, that may have been 07, when we had our 1440 collective, and I remember, because Drummer would talk about what you were working on, and when we started the Kwanzas at the Charles H. Wright. And, and just different things of mm-hmm. House of Bassett. Like, um, right now, kind of what you ushered in in the world of, like, uh, bringing, you know, fitness through dance. It's not like you're, you anchored this. Mm-hmm. But it's a lot of some of this movement happening from a lot of young black women as well. Mm-hmm. Uh, when you see this... Uh, happening today in culture, I know you have to like look back and smile and say, "Wow, this is this is unique." This is fabulous. It's fabulous. I was born on July first, so uh, you know, one is the first number. Mm. <laughs> I got you, and it's it's, it's the first number because you changed the the traditional way, like, and it's uh, like I mean. I applaud, and I need to get them on here. The people from like Detroit, Windsor, and it's a lot of other dancers. And I used to dance more, with. And I used to dance and, a more traditional. Mm-hmm. Just and way I used to of dance with Deborah White Hunt. And yes. so when you are also look at all of the all the people I have studied under, like literally, this is not just me. You know, I don't want to mm-hmm. take anything because I am learning that pride and ego is. You know, that's not really that's not fabulous. Mm-hmm. You know, um, this is a vehicle, so things work through me. Mm-hmm. And I have studied under great dancers and, yeah. you know, choreographers and culture creators. And it's not just me. It's like continue, you, you, you get an idea, you, you, you're inspired, and then what do you do with it? Because everybody has their own special the, niche that they the can imagination. do. You know the what I'm imagination. saying? You got your own. We all have our own DNA and our own mm-hmm. fingerprints. So how do you use the same truth? Mm-hmm. And what is it that you have to say? What problem do you see that you can solve? And my main problem was using dance and movement to empower us. And empower us more so in energy because when you go you know you start studying everything is energy a lot of times we want to make we want to try to adhere to the physical so much and that's like our prison you know what i'm saying but if you start thinking about you as energy you're able to open up and free your mind i think like most of the problems that we have that we even discussed earlier is dealing with these paradigms and these belief systems that keep us in these certain boxes and until you get out of those, you're going to be stuck there. There's now, nothing else you can do about that. Now, the unique, what you're speaking of is very, as, you know, labeled through conventional Western philosophy, metaphysical. Mm-hmm. And, and, you, it, and it's definitely deeper, I think, in African philosophy. Mm-hmm. Um, I speak from what I have access to and what I'm more learning on. Mm-hmm. Um, and I agree, like, energetically, in our spirits and like even when you talked about uh but you know we say what we want but like stop reacting Mm -hmm. as like i I really like chess and i also like boxing but Mm -hmm. it's like we're not counter punching and sometimes people are so caught up in responding that they can't even they're not making no plays 
They for not, they're not making no plays. They exactly. have no strategy. Yeah. They're not saying, I'm going here. This is where I'm going. Now, it doesn't matter if you coming this way. I'm going this way. Yeah. So that means you got to get out of my way. Yeah. Because I have a point yeah. of attention. Yeah. And they say energy follows where atten- where you give your attention to. Mm-hmm. And we're not giving our attention to our true, our true origins. I think we're getting misconstrued. We're getting sidetracked Mm -hmm. as to what the real deal is and that is our soul development and that's just the bottom line we are all here to develop ourselves and our souls Hmm. not your pocketbook yes it sounds fabulous but you know the more and more i research you know the love of riches the love of riches selling your soul doing anything you can for something that doesn't even matter that doesn't sound smart to me. But it's even, <laughs> that even, but it's sound even smart. any form of, uh, this is definitely another two a, point a part f- to philosophy type mm-hmm. thing. But <clears throat> we can material, philosophize. material, like the, the, the wealth of a material good generally is even quantified by those that placed it on them. But to supersede it it's sort of like you know when they you know this is the deep philosophy of things like like, you know i used to always give this example you know if uh you know if another blackout happens right now right like so we have no idea if the power will come back on or if it won't come back on and i had this bottle of water and you got a hundred dollars would i sell this water for a hundred dollars when quanta it Obviously, I can quantify this value of water as water is a lifeblood in life. Mm-hmm. That $100 has a perceived value. and really is value is in what we believe it can bring in the exchange. Mm-hmm. But even with what I can exchange that $100 for, will it give me something like lifeblood of life? But that's a deep... And, like, and once that water is gone, can you eat or drink that $100? Yeah. That's so that, one, that, that, that water is gone. Yeah. You got $5 billion, but you don't have no water, you don't have no food, and you don't have no air. So that billion dollars is going to be your salvation? But that's the thought process of, like, to me, like, any material good, the quantified, kind of like, I don't know if you've met, you know, we all have those types of people sometimes, uh, people that collect different things. I collect old magazines. Mm -hmm. Like, some old magazine, I just, I'm just into it. But... I can't really place a, a quantifiable value on it. And the last time I bought an old magazine was actually from Nandi's uh, Knowledge Cafe in Highland Park right now. Off uh, is, that, is that still Oakman that. or is that, that? Is that does that transition over? I'm gonna say it's Oakman. So it is Oakman. So, uh, but I know it transfers to Manchester and Highland Park mm-hmm. sometimes. But it's Oakman. But uh, it was an old Essence magazine talking about relationships but they did a long article with Francis Cress Welsing and it's from 1977 and just to get Dr. Francis Cress Welsing's perspective in 77 as edited by the person that writes for Essence to me it was like that was valuable I think I bought it that was for, valuable yeah that was like, that's research yeah I'm like this is interesting <laughs> that's research you know it's interesting uh-huh. to me because I buy books I do buy books yeah so I have I have a but library, a, but that's one of those things that I have value for. But like a collector, it's like material goods kind of really. Oftentimes, I think when people are buying a material good, they're generally 
if it's not if the intentionality is kind of like driving to it like mm -hmm. if you're into the intentionality of most men buying a Porsche is to get a response from other men and women to be like, damn, you got a Porsche. But it's some car collectors where it's like, no, nah, that man, is my, I, I yes, like that car. I really like the that, design I of this car. car. I really like the way that it was I made. Want that car. And it's like, damn, dude, you are really into cars. <laughs> but they have a different and some value. Exactly. So that's where, that. And exactly. that's where you get value and worth from. Yeah. And that's all I'm saying. We need to put a little bit more value and a little bit more more worth towards our yeah. spiritual development. Yeah. And that's where I am. And I'm with that. We're having fun. I'm not denouncing anything, you know, that we use because, like I said, they're vehicles. It's not saying that, oh, this water bottle's bad. You know, this body is bad. This phone is bad. No, I use it. But mm -hmm. I am not to be misused and abused by it. Or defined by... Period. My phone. Know. Yeah, yeah. Because the, <laughs> iPhone, my the iPhone 11 should not... Uh, I am. Should, I we should don't even want to go... We don't want to... Exactly, because I don't I have, have a, it. Yes. Because I have a four. Yeah. I have a four and it still works. I can mm -hmm. still call you. Yeah. That's the You ain't going to try to make me... You're not going to try to make me feel less than yeah. because I don't have the new iPhone. Yeah. That's the, that is the functionality But that's that's where the problem is. I agree. <laughs> now that moves us and ushers us into our classic Detroit is different questions. But before we get there, how do people get in contact with you? Houseofbastet.com. You can um, email me through the website. Okay. Um, everything's been the same since 2005. We're gonna definitely have to get you back in the mix. On we may have to do more with you with Detroit. Yeah, different. we could we do a lot of different things. You know. So, classic <laughs> Detroit is different questions. In the car question, as we in the Motor City, mm -hmm. what was your very first car? My uh, what year make and model, and what year did you get? Uh, my very first car was a Toyota Corolla, and I do not know. Remember the year? That was, hmm, I was in 11th grade, so what, that was 1991, but it was an older car. I don't but remember. But you don't remember that. the year? No. Where was the first place you went when you got it? Mm, I don't remember. You don't even remember the experience? No, I just got the car and I was so excited. How how long did it last? It lasted maybe six months. Oh, it's so it, yeah, I had yeah. a head gasket situation. Mm. So no your first oil, car. no oil in the car. Was was that a was that a a, a kid? No oil because you didn't. Keep I didn't up know with nothing. It? Yeah. Okay. Okay. You okay. get something you don't know nothing. You don't do no research. You mess your stuff up. But if you have enough <laughs> car problems, like like oh, that's one and thing, I have. you will learn. You will learn all types of stuff. You will be driving down the street like, oh, I oh, I gotta get my my trends are slipping. flat out. <laughs> <laughs> that sound like the ball joint. <laughs> That's a tire rod. Especially yeah, driving in Detroit. That sound like an oxygen sensor. <laughs> the the oxygen. <laughs> you become your own ghetto mechanic. Yeah, so I got that. Yeah, Toyota Corolla. I paid six hundred dollars for that car. Do you, who did you buy it from? My auntie, oh, Fanny man. Owens. And when she, uh, sometimes when you buy, when you buy uh, cars from family and stuff, they like uh, give you like the long speech because you're a kid. Mm -hmm. Well, she was a real, she was real instrumental in my, in my um, development, development in, into a woman. You know what I'm saying? Like here, do this and figure okay. it out, figure it out. Okay. Okay. Mm -hmm. Okay. And I, where, where, when you got a ride, were you like, uh. The person with the ride in your crew so like did everybody hang with you i was the person with the ride in my crew i've always had a car so they so they oh man after that car i got another car that was a lemon that was a ford 
it was one what's that little hatchback car escort mm, okay and i hated that car from the moment i saw it and my mother bought it and it was bad from the beginning and mm. we had to go to small claims court and everything to get our money back it was a lemon he tried to you know women yeah don't know cars mm. so he sold us a mess mm. and i got stuck on the lodge freeway Oh, man. And the state police tried to arrest me for loitering. Wow. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Damn. Yeah. I got Damn. stories. Because mm. I wouldn't get in the car with them. I said, I don't know you. I don't trust you. I'm not getting in the car with you. Yeah. People go missing every day. He yeah. was like, no, ma'am, you need to come. I said, no. You give me a ticket. Do what you got to do. I said, I'm not getting in the car with you. Yeah, I'm <laughs> I'm not getting in the car with you. And yeah. so he, that was drama, but okay, that was another one. Yeah, you don't know how fast cars go on the freeway until you stuck looking and it'll go by you. <laughs> and, and you have on the large freeway coming around the Wyoming curve, you got a traffic jam because your car stopped in the left lane. Oh, man, you was you that in the person. You fast lane. You was that person. I was, was her. Northland days. I was her. People was really And I was going down. to work mm. at Northland, Miss Sibley's. Ah. <laughs> You worked in Northland. Miss Sibley's. I need to do a Detroit is different documentary on the Northland. black Northland experience. Yeah, that was a beautiful A. Hey, I'll come and interview for you. <laughs> that was a beautiful experience. So, um, next question. Next question. You are the DJ at the end of the Detroit fireworks. You get to play three songs. Mm-hmm. You're at Woodward and Jefferson. What three songs are you playing? Last night, a DJ saved my life. Nas. Heaven is a mile away. Okay. And blow the whistle. Okay. Too short. Okay. It, you're going you're gonna to really turn up. Mm-hmm. At the you're end. Gonna feel at like the they end. Had a cabaret. Do, do, do. <laughs> they're going to feel like they had a cabaret. It's like the cabaret DJ got here. Like, where is my setup? <laughs> yeah. I'll play the clean version, though. Where is my setup? Blow the whistle, the clean version. Where is my setup? Yeah. The West Club has yeah. come alive. <laughs> Three songs. And if you could rename Detroit, uh, well, not Detroit. If you could rename Woodward after one Detroiter, who would it be and why? Detroiter? Yep. Was Mayor Young from Detroit? He's not from, but most people pick Mayor Young. He's from Alabama, but when I say Detroiter, it doesn't mean you got to be born here. I would do Coleman Young. He's the, he's the most, he gets the most votes. That, hey, when I was born, that's all I heard in my household. <laughs> I mean, literally. So I your heard, dad must have been. A, I heard Coleman Young was a staunch supporter of me. I Young. heard Coleman Young. <laughs> so that's who I'm gonna name Woodward. <laughs> <laughs> like a lot of folks. Yeah, he was cool though. I like his little. I like his whole little situation. Yeah, yeah. I wish I could find his glasses for him. Mm-hmm. I would definitely do that. Yeah, like I would that. name Woodward Coleman A. Young. There we go. Mm -hmm. Thank you so much. Thank Thank you you so much. All right. Peace. Peace.